that the Lord is the true God. My, I got a couple amens. That the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, an everlasting king at his wrath. The earth shall tremble, and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall ye say unto them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens by his discretion. And I would like to use those three words in verse number 10, the power, wisdom, and the stretch. Power, wisdom, and the stretch. Let's ask God to help us. Savior, we love you and worship you today for your goodness, your greatness to us. Have your way in this lesson today. Touch our hearts, reveal to us, guide us in your perfection, we pray. And we ask these things in the wonderful name of the Lord. And somebody said amen. Before you are seated, let's pray for those that are in need today. If you have a special need today, would you just lift your hands together and let's ask God together as we worship him for healing and victory right now in Jesus' name. Savior, we worship you for your word. We worship you for your blood. We worship you for Calvary, for by your stripes we are healed. We ask you to work with us today. Strengthen us. Let the will of God be done in every life. As we anoint with oil, we ask you to heal and do a work today in the wonderful name of the Lord. You are a master at all that you do and we worship you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lift your voices together and let's pray. Savior, uh, touch this young man right now. Uh, heal, removing the pain, uh, suffering. Uh, let there be victory in the wonderful name of the Lord. Uh, we worship you now because you have given to us this approach. Uh, and now we approach you as the King of kings uh, and the Lord of lords. Heal in the name of the Lord. Uh, in Jesus' name. Everybody shout together. Let's worship the Lord together and thank him. Somebody thank the Lord together. Lift up your voice with a voice of triumph. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Power, wisdom, and the stretch. You may be seated. God bless you for standing Jeremiah's book, he's known as the weeping prophet and writes because of the condition of Israel, the setting of this particular scripture is some 300 years prior to Jeremiah's arrival where civil war had split Israel into two camps. One was Israel and one was Judah. And they had coexisted as two nations for a couple of hundred years. A hundred years into, or a hundred years before Jeremiah's time, the northern kingdom of Israel was carried away into captivity by Assyria. And uh, 
So Judah was facing the same fate, which was Jeremiah's homeland, the southern kingdom of Judah. And this is the writings of Jeremiah. And because of the threat of Babylon, their imminent threat of invasion, it kept Jeremiah weeping before the people and also before God for the people. For some 40 years in the reign of some five kings, Jeremiah gives the nation's leaders messages that they really don't want to hear. So they arrest him, put him in prison, and almost kill him. Yet Jeremiah doesn't stop with his persistent prophecies and speaks to them straight. He informs them that the Babylonians are coming. He informs them that they will carry them away into captivity. He warns them that the political alliances with the powers like Egypt and uh, other nations are futile for them to make peace with the nations around them. But they ignore him, and he still perseveres in his message. He still preaches and teaches and writes. And so Jeremiah makes it clear that Judah's only hope is to renew their consecration and their dedication to God. You can read throughout the entire book that his message proves true and Jeremiah emerges more prominent than any of the kings that reigned and all that went before him even though they hated him and he prophesied. So in response to probably the Babylonians or the Chaldeans is this setting of scripture that I've read to you this morning. And it simply says, but the Lord is a true God. He is the living God, an everlasting king, and at his wrath the earth shall tremble, and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. And then he said, this is what you're going to say to them, Jeremiah. You say unto them that the gods, this is interesting how it's worded, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth, from under the he these heavens. So whatever gods they had, which were many, they worshipped a lot of different types of gods. And uh, he let them know that those gods that did not make the heavens and the earth, which would include any god that they worshipped of stone or wood or even of the heavens, that it was going to perish and they would not be there. And then he declares in the 12th verse that God is the one that made the earth by his power and the world by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. One writer considers these words to be the continuation of admonition to the Babylonish and Chaldean countries. And the statement is very clear that the gods that you look at are not the gods that I want you to serve. Going back to the first verse of that chapter, verse chapter number 10, said, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the ways of the heathen. Actually, when you look at this, it fits today because we are living in a world that is not necessarily taking our country into captivity of another country necessarily, 
but it certainly is a spiritual attack against human beings in our nation and taking them captive and leading them into captivity. But I can proclaim to you that Jesus came to take captive captivity. He came to put in prison captivity, in other words. And so if you are a captive to the world or the effects of the world, Jesus came so he could take that which would take you captive, and he knows how to take that from you as what is captivating you and put it into captivity. And God has promised that he would deliver us from the things that bother us. So he said, learn not the way of the heathen. That's a great lesson for today for uh, us to look at. The world is going so haywire and so strangely involved with things, uh, and we are losing what we would call the Christian or the Judeo-Christian effect in America because of so many immigrants that have different types of philosophies and ideas. And I still thank God that America is a nation that believes in freedom of religion because no matter what influences come to the world, we still have a right to worship God in the liberty of his spirit and truth. But the millennials are leaving churches today, and you can read articles about this, and I've touched on it before, but there is a generation that is walking out of church or not attending church because they have been, they've been disappointed with church services. They've been disappointed with what takes place in a church. They come feeling a hunger for something, and they go away with that same feeling of hunger. Thank God we have an apostolic church where if you come hungry, you can leave satisfied in your spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Aren't you glad God did something for you? Aren't you glad he took away the sin and the confusion of your life and took that captivity and gave you liberty today? So he said, don't learn the way of the heathen. Don't stay away from God's word. Now, church is a place where we have several segments of a church service. We come and we have prayer, opening prayer, and then we have worship and scriptural reading and, and the word of God preached to us through word shot and then singing and then, then the word of God. And all of those components make up what church ought to be. It ought to be a place where you can feel God. It ought to be a place where you can demonstrate God's power and presence and recognize there is deliverance in the house of God. I want you to know today, if you came hungry for something, you can leave excited about life. He said, don't learn the way of the heathen. They have such, such empty feelings. You can, you can do all of the rituals of religion and still not feel the power of God. But I'm telling you, you can come to an apostolic church and you can lift your hands and worship God and feel after him that happily you might find him. He's in this place right now. He is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Oh, hallelujah. Aren't you glad you know who he is today? So he said, learn not the way of the heathen and be not dismayed at the signs of the heavens. You can find in our society those that still would like to worship the sun and the moon and the stars. They worship the heavenlies. They think there's answers for their life there. And, uh, and they have found some little hope somewhere. And in all religions you can find a little scriptural direction somewhere. But when you come to an apostolic church, we believe the entire Bible 
and we stand that he is the one that made the heavens and the earth. There are no gods of the heavens. Uh, he is the God that made the heavens. There's no gods of the earth. He is the God of the earth. So he, know, he knows where we are today. And then verse 3 said, The customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe, and they deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails. They set it upright, drive hammers with hammer and nails to it, that it doesn't move, and they make a god out of it. It's so interesting when you begin to talk about idolatry that people actually worship things that have no ability to move, no ability to respond. I've been at places where they actually have placed food for these idols, and the food remains there until it rots. But you can come to the house of God, and our God doesn't accept food, but he gives us food, and it doesn't rot. It builds us up. So he says they're upright as a palm tree, but they speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Don't be afraid of them. They can do no evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. Now he's talking about the idolatry of the world. And you don't have to go cut a tree out of the forest and set up a, a god in your home or in your yard or somewhere. Just you, you don't have to do that to have an idol. Whatever takes you away from the God that created the heavens and the earth, that is a god to you. You can worship your job. You can worship your education. You can worship your, your blessings. You can worship your bank account. You can worship a lot of things in life. In fact, there is an attitude towards self that people worship themselves. It's called self-righteousness. And our world is full of that. And they worship themselves. That's why mirrors are for sale. I've said this before, but I talked to one person who said, somebody told me don't go to that church down there because they'll put you in bondage. And the further conversation we got into it, she made the remark, I never leave without my makeup. I says, how long does it take you to put your makeup on? She says, it takes me two hours to get ready before I go out of the house. Talk about idolatry. Talk about worshiping the mirror or themselves. <laughs> two hours? We don't put you in that kind of bondage. Do take a little time to fix up. Do make yourself look as good as possible, but don't worship yourself and don't become an idolatrous person that worships anything that gives you what you think you need in the world. Don't be like the heathen, he said. Come to the house of God and worship the one true God whose name is Jesus and who is in this place right now. He can be touched and he can feel. He can feel what you need and be where you need him. He's a God that is alive, and he's a God that's everywhere at all times. Hallelujah. He said if you ascend to the stars or the heavens, uh, he would be there. He also said if you go to the depths of the earth, he's there. And there are some religions that try to build their monuments on the highest hills, and I've been there. Also in South America, sometimes they go to the lowest depths uh, and they make their monuments, and I've been there. 
and none of those monuments, none of those things uh, really provide anything or any help. You can talk to them forever and they'll never respond to you. Uh, but when you come to the house of God, I'm telling you, our God who made the heavens and the earth, hallelujah, our God that created all things that we are will respond to you and will respond to your needs. Verse 6, this is prefacing the scripture of my text, and I hope to get there. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? For to thee doth it appertain, for as much as among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms there is none like thee. Verse 8. But they are altogether brutish and foolish. The stock is of doctrine of vanities. Uh, silver spread into plates is brought from Tarsus and gold from Euphaz and the work of the workmen and the hands of the founders, blue and purple in their clothing. They are all the work of cunning men. But the Lord is the true God. And this is our scripture read. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, an everlasting king at his wrath. The nations tremble, and nations shall not be able to abide in his indignations. And there is the proclamation that I want to preach to you today. Thus shall you say unto them, now when there is an idol in your life or an idol somewhere, you can say to those that would follow those idols or even to yourself, thus shall you say unto them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. Every one of the gods uh, of society have died and they have no place except a statue. When you look at some of those uh, that worship idols, and I've been to places where there are there's hundreds of idols. I went to one place in Rome several years ago where it was Tivoli Gardens, in fact, the name of it, and the wa waters flowed through the mountain, and they made fountains out of all of these gods, uh, and it was a god of almost every sort, not quite as many as what it was in Mars Hill in Athens where Paul stood and looked at all of those idols, and, and he said, I, I see that you're superstitious, and I, I realize that you have a god for everything, the wind and the, the moon and the stars and the sun and and clouds and storms and mountains and rocks and you have a God for everything, some 30,000 gods or more and, and they had idols to some of them and then he came to one little idol that had the inscription on it to the unknown God and he began to preach to them about who that unknown God to them was because he didn't know all of their gods but he knew the God that was unknown to them. I don't know any of the gods of the world. I have no relationship with the gods of the world. But I have a relationship with Jesus Christ today. I know who he is and he knows who I am. It is not a one-way street of love and affection to him. It is a two-way street. Not only do I love God and worship him, he loves me. Hallelujah. He loves me. And I'm here to tell the gods of the world who are dead and cannot hear, but in case somebody's worshiping a dead god that cannot hear, I'm telling you, there's no resurrection in those gods. The god that we worship, they killed him. They put him in a tomb. 
But in three days he rose again and is alive forevermore. And he is in this house today. Somebody ought to shout with me. Well, hallelujah. He is a God of all gods, a Lord of all lords. Somewhere one man wrote, he is a God who stands opposed to all the gods that are made. He is a God that has deity where they have no deity, nor no right to be worshipped. But our God is the true God, and he has both deity and the reason to worship him. Have you felt God today? Did you wake up this morning, as the song said, I woke up this morning? Huh? One song said, I woke up this morning feeling fine. One, the other song said, he woke me up this morning. Whichever it is, we're awake today. Very few people go to sleep in this church. Brother Terry used to wake us up. How many of you remember how Brother Terry used to wake us up? He got where it was a little quiet. He, he would yell into the mic. Everybody would jump. In fact, one person was sleeping, and they sat close to the front bench, and he came down to the front, and he got real loud, and they came up speaking in other tongues. Our God created the heavens, hung them on nothing. This is why he said the words that I'm trying to preach to you today when he made the declaration that he made the earth by his power. When you stop and consider that the earth has no, no hinges on it, no cords, nothing to hang on to. We were at Yosemite about a year ago or so, and we stood there at El Capitan and watched people climb El Capitan, which is a famous rock climbing uh, rock in Yosemite. And we watched them with their ropes, and, and there are certain places that people have gone before them, and they put these spikes in the crevices and cracks, and they can tie onto that, and they climb a little higher. And we were sitting there watching, and, and we saw a tent on the side of the mountain. They actually climb some of these mountains, and they sleep in their tents on the mountain, on the side of the mountain. Swinging in the wind. Storms, not me. Give me a good solid bed on the ground somewhere and I can sleep all night. But not up there like that. Then there's a man by the name of Alex that had climbed El Capitan many times. And he decided that he was going to do it without any ropes. You can read about this. One day, it takes some of these people two days to get to the top. That's why they have their little tent, and they spend the night, and then they go on. But Alex decided he was going to climb that mountain with no ropes and no protection. So he started out. He, he had climbed it many times before with ropes and protection. In fact, I forget exactly how many times that he made a particular path with a rope and learned that path so that today he was going to do it all by himself with no ropes. And if I remember the story right, he made it in about three and a half hours with no ropes and no help whatsoever, climbing that mountain, suspended 
between heaven and earth, knowing that if he slipped and fell, it was over with. It was curtains. He'd never have the guts to try it again. But he made it in three hours and 40-some minutes, maybe. He made it to the top. And I said that to say this, that if you have to hang on to things to climb, when God created the earth by his power, he hung it in space by one thing, his word. He hung it by his word. He made the earth by his power. Now you think of God that we worship. He hung the world by the word of his power. And I'll read the scripture in a minute. But he hung the world by the word of his power and said, stay there, and it's still there. It turns at the right amount of time. If it speeded up, we would freeze to death in the darkness of night. And if it slowed down in its orbit and its turning, we would burn up in the heat of the sun. Don't tell me there's not a God. Don't tell me that something just happened out in space and a big explosion and all of the dust particles begin to separate into their little areas uh, and all this happened. Oh no, my God hung the stars uh, and hung the world by the word of his power. That's the God that's worshipped in this house. We don't worship an organization. We don't worship a, a type of man-made philosophy. We worship the true living God, and his name is Jesus. So hallelujah. Why don't you lift your hands and love him right now? If he hung the world in space and the stars in their place, it is a miracle if we'll lift our hands and worship him that he says, I love you. I hung the world, but I love you in the world. We were at Brother Dansby's for his 30th anniversary the other day, and they got to talking about the space station, and it comes over every day, travels about 17,000 miles an hour, but it's way up in the sky, and uh, he gave me a time to see it. It was at 5.57 in the morning. Now, he, they live in an area where there's not quite as much air pollution, and so you can see it. Now, I'd like to maybe check it out. There's an app. There's an app for that. And you can check it out and see when it comes over the skies and what time it is here. And I haven't done that yet when I got home. But I did get up that morning and uh, did some walking. I try to walk every morning. And uh, so I got up, and so I made it to the parking lot of a store there and I started walking in circles kind of like life, I was just going in circles. And all of a sudden at 5.56, I saw it coming over the horizon. The sun was starting to come up in the east and, and I saw it coming. It was about the size of a quarter in the sky. That's a pretty big star. And I watched it as it all went all the way over. And man put that up there and they govern it and they watch it, and it's a space station where people actually go from Earth, and they land there, and they figured all of that out. But they have to have batteries that are recharged by the sun. 
They have communication through, I don't even know exactly how it all works, but they have communication from man. But when God hung the stars and the sun and the moon and hung all the planets and put the earth where it is, uh, and I, I just want to say I don't believe in alien life. I really don't. If you're not careful, it's probably angels, good or bad, that they may be seeing. I've never seen an angel except for my wife. Oh. Who said that first? Oh, I like that. Lana, good to see you, Lana. That's my grandbaby. She's a sweetheart. She just finished some classes. She came to celebrate, and we want her to come celebrate Jesus with us. We love you, Lana. So he made the earth by his power. Now, I'm not even going to get through where I really want to go today, but I'm going to go as fast as I can, as far as I can. But I want to I just talk. He made the earth by his power. Can you imagine? I don't know how he does it, but he made the smallest of insect. Now, you tell me if evolution is true, how long did it take that small ant to develop a brain tell me how you know God in his he made the earth by his power and he, he made the earth with all of these insects and all these things because of the predator lifestyle you know the smallest of insects eaten by a bigger insect eaten by a bigger insect that's eaten by a bigger animal an animal bigger and we went to uh, safari where the lion the king of the jungle was eating other animals and and that's all in the plan of god i said it's all in the plan of god god created the earth by his power he designed it so every phase of animal insect life or whatever could sustain themselves it's design it's a plan of god Professor, I want you to know if you want to preach about evolution, it's not true. God made the earth by his power. God designed the smallest of insect, and he made it with a brain. I don't know how much, but if you look at the smallest of insects, and I, I've looked at the smallest ones I could find or seen walking, and they know how to find food, to the biggest of, <clears throat> of animals that can find their food. And God designed it that way. Evolutionists want to say, well, everything happened because of need. Well, if there was no sound, Ever, anywhere, nobody could hear anything. Why did you need an ear? And if nobody talked, why did you need a mouth? Well, it would help. Here we are today. God made everything. Let me just get to the chase. God made everything. He made the smallest of detail to the biggest of ugly things. I mean, an elephant is not very pretty. It's a nice animal. We was in Africa, and we got in a Jeep, and, and we was trying to find the animals, and we finally found where they were. 
because the ground had been muddy and now it's dry. You know, an animal's foot is about this big and they made potholes in the dirt and we've bounced through that till we found them coming up out of the river and cutest little baby elephant. It was a cutie little thing, but they're still not as pretty as a butterfly. Can you imagine the detail of which God painted the, 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 the butterfly and the beautiful iridescent moth? Have you ever seen a, a moth when it spreads its wings and, and it's iridescent? If you touch it, it even comes off in your hands. You know what I'm talking about? God made that, Brother Chris. We believe God is the creator. That's why we worship him today. Because he put a hunger in everything that he made. He put a hunger in everything that he made. And that hunger drives people to drugs, immorality, insanity, and all the things of society. But because we recognize that hunger that he placed in us was not just a hunger to search for food, but a hunger to search for God. And so we're searching for that. And that's why our world needs to recognize and understand that God has made the world by his power for us as we have a hunger like every animal and insect that he made. A look and a hunger for food. We have the same hunger for food, but we have a greater hunger, and that's a hunger for God. You want to know what you're looking for? You want to know why you're tormented and you're searching for something? God put something in you as a hunger. And that hunger, he wants you to come to him and be drawn to him. He established the world by his wisdom. I like that. His wisdom is what made the predatory animal and insect chain of food command. And he, he made that through his wisdom because he knew if he put an ant an ant needed some help to live. So we have a hummingbird thing in our backyard, and we put it up there. And, and it's, it's, it's beautiful to watch hummingbirds. In fact, I was standing, and the hummingbird thing was here, and I was standing this far from it the other day, and a hummingbird came and began to feed on that. And it wasn't even scared of me. I wasn't. No, I won't say it. Wasn't scared of me. Now, if I'd have moved, he'd been scared of me. But you know what also was searching for that sweet nectar? Ants. They climbed up the pole. They climbed into the deal and moved into the, the very jar or whatever, the little flowers, and into the hole where the hummingbird put his, his beak in again. He was after the same thing. Oh, church, if you could understand what I'm talking about today, you're looking for something in our world. And God created this church and his spirit and the word of God so you could find what you're really looking for. Oh, hallelujah. And then he stretched out the heavens by his discretion. I like that. I won't spend any time on that, but, but when God does something, he does it so well. So well. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1. God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath made heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory 
an express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Somebody says, well, if God appointed Jesus heir of all things, why or how did Jesus create the world? Because Jesus is a manifestation of God. He is the physical presence and person of God. There is not two gods or three gods or 33,000 gods as some believe. Uh, he is the one true God and his name is Jesus. You cannot see God at any time. He is a spirit, John 4 and 24. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But he designed it so we could see what God would be when he was born of a woman and made under the law. Jesus is not a second person in a triune Godhead. He is a manifestation and visible appearance of the very one God, the first and the last, and never the second. Hallelujah. And so Jesus came to this earth as a human being. But what was inside that human being, the scripture said, was the spirit of God without measure. We are blessed because we get a measure of the Spirit of God. Oh, I could preach on that a while. I could talk about that for a little while. We have the earnest of our inheritance. We have a little bit of eternal life in us. But he came with it without measure. There was no measure of God's Spirit in him. He was full of majesty and power. The Spirit that came into him was from God, not Joseph. The blood that was in his body was God's blood, not Joseph's blood. That's why the scripture said that he purchased this church with his own blood. Well, hallelujah. We are worshiping not some dumb idol somewhere. We're worshiping the one who came before the creation of all things and made all things and hung the stars where they are. And now he dwells in us and he came to this church service today. I said he came to this church service today. I said he came to this church service today. And all you have to do is stretch your hand out. The stretch, the stretch, the stretch, the stretch. His arm is not shortened that he cannot save. He reached to where you are. In fact, he'll reach farther down. You talk about the stretch. He reached farther down than you have to reach up. Oh, i got to say that again because he has to reach farther down than we can reach up. But if you'll reach up, if you'll stretch, he's already stretched himself. He already gave himself. Hallelujah. I'll get to that. Isaiah, the Bible said he spreadeth abroad the earth by himself, spreadeth abroad the earth by himself and stretcheth forth the heavens alone. His stretch. Now if his stretch can stretch the heavens alone, he can reach to where you are. Isaiah 59 and 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear 
2 Corinthians 10 and 14, For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Jesus knows how to reach where you are. And the stretch is there. And he's there to help you and to reach for you. While the musicians come, I'm reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 23. Turn you at my rebuke. Pour, behold, I will pour out of my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have said it not all my counsel and with none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity and will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me. But I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but will not find me. For they have hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled of their own devices. In simple words, the best I can make it to you. He's saying, I have stretched all day long in one place. I reached as far as I could reach. If he stretched forth the heavens alone, listen to this preacher, it doesn't matter where you are today in your walk in life. You may think you are at the bottom and not worth a thing, Brother Jeremy, but God knows how to stretch his hand to where you are. If he stretched forth the heavens alone, he knows where to find you where you are in your predicament. And I'm telling you, when he reaches, he reaches for you. He stretches himself for you. He wants you. But he will not always strive with men, Genesis tells us. And somewhere, somewhere he says, okay, I'm reaching for somebody else. One day he reached for you. One day he reached for you and he reached where you were. And some of you were in the depths of sin and confusion. And it seemed like you could never get up and never get out of it. And nothing would help and everything was going bad. But God reached into the miry clay of sin and confusion. And he said, that's my child. I'm stretching myself. I'm not God, but Zane the other day came down that aisle and they started to get him. And I said, no, let him come. You saw it. And there was a beautiful illustration. And I'm not God, not even saying I'm close to God. But he came down here and he was reaching his hand up and I reached it out to him. And when God sees us no matter where we are and you reach your hand to him. Have you done it already? Have you reached for him? Have you walked to where he is and where the moving of the Spirit is and you reach up? This is the creator that hung the stars in space, made the smallest of insects and the biggest and ugliest of animals. He said, I'll reach for you because my arm is not shortened. I'll reach. Have you got a hold of him? 
And as we stand in this congregation today, those of you that have felt the hand of God reach where you are and you grasp a hold of his hand and he pulls you up, you should never be ashamed to lift your hands to him in submission and worship to him for he is the true God. He reached to where you were and he's going to save you in a world of confusion. No matter where you are today, no matter what has ever happened to you and whatever you've gone through, whatever life has dealt you, whatever sorrows have come your way, he promised he would never leave us nor forsake us. Just like the world that's hung by his power, he hasn't forsaken the earth. Every once in a while, there's a fallen star that breaks off from somewhere and it travels and maybe hits the earth's atmosphere and you can see it streak across the heavens. I don't know what all of that means, but we'll understand it better by and by. But the basic stars of transportation and navigation, for centuries they've studied the stars for where they are in their place. And they remain in their place. And they navigate by that because last night that star was in the same place it is now because it was hung there by God. He has not forsaken that star, but he hung that star and said, stay there. And he hung the earth on nothing. And it still is there today. If it speeded up or slowed down, we would not survive. It's there by the hand of God. And let me just say, man's not going to destroy this earth in 12 years. Sorry, AOC. If the world is destroyed, it can be destroyed now when God decides it's all over. But the beautiful thing about it, before he destroys this earth, he's taking a people out of here for his name's sake. He's reaching for you today to say, come on, reach for me and I'll reach for you. And as you lift your hands today all across this congregation, the power, the wisdom, and the stretch.
Would you lift your 